welcome, welcome back. back to another episode of the Eight Tracks Cassettes and Stereos podcast, episode twenty-three. As always, you can find the Eight Tracks Cassettes and Stereos podcast uh, every other Friday on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. And if you're on the old Instagram as well, make sure you give us a like, subscribe, follow, tell your friends, uh, hit us up at Eight Tracks Cassettes Stereos. My name is Nick. What's up? It's Mike. We also got Steve in the studio. You might hear him chomping away at those numbers back there, trying to get us our stats and analytics. Yeah, Steve. Steve's always working hard. Uh, and he Mike, we are in the recording studio this time. At a boys, you know, after many weeks of uh, of sandbagging and slacking, I'm glad that he's actually showing up to work here on a Saturday. So he's putting in overtime. Yeah, yeah he is. He uh, he deserves it. He 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 definitely deserves it this time. Uh, he's been. He's been doing a tough, uh, tough shifts at the work. Uh, been, uh, been, been coming by to check on him a little bit later than I normally do. Uh, yeah, he's doing well though. You know, he's, he's getting some promotions, getting good feedback on his, uh, you know, on his, uh, observations and evals, but he's doing well. And a boy, and a boy. I'm the only one that he, uh, that he confides in. So he tells me this stuff. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad that he's at least talking to you as, uh, yeah. so, cause I, I don't, I don't hear anything from him. He's pretty silent. So glad that he's yeah. at least talking to you. Yeah. All right. Well, we are, uh, we are officially into the holiday season. Uh, if you listen to last episode, uh, you know, that was a Thanksgiving episode. We had a good time on Turkey day, but now it's officially the Christmas slash Kwanzaa, whatever holiday you celebrate season. Um, I got the old Christmas decorations set up in the apartment this past week and in the holiday spirit. So I wanted to kick it off with a uh, holiday themed cue for you. What is your favorite part of the holiday season? Uh, hmm, good question. Probably. Holiday games, just games, uh, games that you get to spend with with uh, the family. So just sitting around a table playing an old board game here. Yeah. You know, maybe it's having classic. maybe having some brown water, some sheesh on the side, yeah. get the com- the uh, competitive juices flowing. Oh god, yeah. And boy, I uh, yeah, I like a good holiday holiday game night. You know, I like Christmas caroling popping on a holiday movie because as we as we talked about in the last episode now now is the time thanksgiving is you know in the rearview mirror now you can start getting in the holiday spirit so um we got some good holiday themed cues loaded up here uh, on another episode of the pod um and then next episode as well mark make sure you mark your calendars uh, that's going to be dropping a couple days before christmas and we got a big big holiday themed episode uh coming down the pipe but i guess until then Wanted to just get into some weekly shenanigans, what we've been up to recently here before we dive into the usual segments. Um, and actually got something cool that I wanted to talk about outside of just like listening to music or buying vinyl. Uh, a couple days ago, Kalen was having a having a girls' night, and I decided to pop on a music documentary on Netflix. And it's called Squaring the Circle, the Story of Hypnosis. Uh Look, watched a preview for it. Looks pretty interesting. Looked pretty cool. Um, it's about two hours, 
And in a brief summary, it is about the art studio uh, or like photography studio that created some of the most iconic album uh, covers and artwork in music, classic rock, etc. history. Um, the founders are named uh, Aubrey Powell, uh, whose nickname is Poe, and then his uh, business partner Storm Thorgerson. And to just rattle off a couple of albums that they created the artwork for, um, and I'm, I'm sure you'll recognize many of these. Um, to kick it off, they did all of the Pink Floyd albums. It's like Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Animals, um, and The Wall, um, Wish You Were Here, but like dating back all the way to their start, too. Um, so like all of the Pink Floyd albums. Um, and they actually grew up as like buddies with David Gilmore and Roger Waters. So that's kind of how they got their in, like their start, like their first album covers they were designing were all Pink Floyd. Um, but then like as the band grew in popularity, um, and then they grew more famous as well. They they ended up doing a lot of uh, cover art for Led Zeppelin, including like physical graffiti, Houses of the Holy. Um, they did a couple of uh, covers for Wings and Paul McCartney, including Band on the Run, Venus and Mars, um, Peter Gabriel albums, ACDC, Yes, ELO, um, 10CC. So like they did tons of amazing uh, cover art. And that's just like scratching the surface. Yeah. Um, and it was just like it was a really cool doc in the sense that like these guys weren't musicians um but like having grown up with like pink floyd and musicians um in like the mid early to mid 60s they just became like ingrained in the culture and they had an eye for this sort of stuff um and also i feel like you know when you watch these like music documentaries sometimes you get like bogged down in the music and like that's what you really want to hear about but yeah. A lot of the times with these like iconic albums, they're so famous because the cover art is also very famous as well, which I feel like doesn't get talked about enough. So it was just really cool to watch a doc that was like super unique because um, I also have a great appreciation for album artwork. And I think it's a bit of a lost art in the sense that like even like modern music, like it's not a huge emphasis because it's not like you're going like a lot of the music that you're listening to is like streamed or uh, digitally downloaded so like it's not like you're going out and like buying a physical like physical media anymore so you know didn't didn't obviously know that you haven't watched it maybe you did after you saw the old show notes here but wanted to just get your thoughts I've, on like i've heard of them already the names when you mentioned the name i was like oh yeah i've already i've heard of them um but it's been a while so i don't know a whole lot but i i did know about the pink floyd records yeah it was just really cool like also like you know a lot of these music documentaries like i said are a lot of like making of the music like how they wrote the song like how they came up with the lyrics and like this was kind of like a cool like flip side of the coin like outside of the music itself like how did these guys come up with you know the cover art for dark side of the moon like how did they think of the prism or like animals like what made them want to do the cover art of like that electrical factory with the pig over the uh over the factory um so it was just really cool like hearing them talk about it um and like the rise and fall of their company too was very interesting like i feel like the two founders like aubrey powell and storm they were like very like yin and yang like contrasting personalities too um which like obviously helped with their success but it also ended up leading to their downfall so just really cool overall 
Yeah, what, wait, where'd you watch it on? It's on Netflix, and, like, oh. it's called Squaring the Circle. So, if you're interested in, like, you know, album artwork um, and just, like, brief history of music, it's a pretty quick watch. I think it's only about an hour 40. Um, but for, like, a music nerd like me, it was just cool to uh, to watch a different type of documentary. So, so. And I've also found myself going through my vinyl collection and like being like, Oh yeah. Like they're on the back cover saying like, uh, you know, yeah. cover art, credit hypnosis. Like it's pretty cool. So that's cool. Yeah. And then the only other thing that I've been up to like music wise, I have been on a small kick of the band <laughs> as well as Van Halen. And the reason I bring up Van Halen is I think I might be coming van hagar guy never used to be a van hagar guy you you know specifically i was always a big uh you know david lee roth van halen fan but recently i've been listening to a lot of van halen from the sammy hagar era specifically the album 5150 and that may or may not be my new favorite van halen album alongside 1985 really yeah they got, dude, they got jams. They got bops from the Van Hagar era. And I feel like it gets a bad rap um, because it's a little bit yeah, different sound than David Lee Roth. But they got absolute jams, especially 5150. Why can't this be love? Exactly. That's a good one. Yeah. Like, let me just pull up that album specifically and I will rattle off the track list because it's just absolute heaters. I've added it to my uh want list my my vinyl wish list because it's a it i feel like it's in a van halen album that gets a lot of attention but it's never really talked about as like the number one or like their best mm -hmm. so it's got summer nights dreams love walks in 5150 why can't this be love um and best of both worlds it's the the, the real like core of the album like the beginning and the end aren't like the first song and the last song aren't that great, but like the middle, like the meat of the album is absolute heaters. Yeah. And ironically enough, this was their first album with Sammy Hagar after right. David Lee Roth jumped ship. So. Oh. Yeah, I'm going down a little bit of a Van Halen rabbit hole. Uh, Van Hagar. Yeah, I I got an interesting trivia question, I guess, for you. Do you know? how they essentially announced that uh sammy hagar was going to be the new lead singer of van halen no so the uh i think it was like farm aid in like 1985 uh sammy hagar and um eddie van halen were both uh slotted to play in the lineup at farm aid and they were like keeping then they at this this point they had already decided that Sammy Hagar was going to join Van Halen but they hadn't like announced it publicly yet and there was a lot of speculation around like who would replace David Lee Roth and then like i think it was by like sheer happenstance they both were like slotted back to back in the lineup and Sam and then the, like Sammy Hagar was playing and then like the last couple of songs he had Eddie Van Halen come up on stage with them and they ended up playing like uh, the cover of Led Zeppelin song Rock and Roll. And that's when they just decided like spontaneously to announce that Sammy Hagar was joining Van Halen. Kind of cool. Hmm. 
So, yeah. And I've been going. I saw the video of that, but I didn't know that was the reason. Yeah, that's when they did that. That video and like that whole concert's very cool. If you haven't checked it out yet, would highly recommend. But uh, yeah, that's when they decided to just like be like, all right, fuck it. Let's just announce that you're joining the band. Sounds like we're we're on stage having a good time. Perfect opportunity. So. But yeah, other than that, you know, like I said, been going down a bit of a rabbit hole with the band as well. We'll get into that a little bit uh, later in the show here. Won't spoil anything now. But yeah, just, you know, getting in the holiday spirit, like I said, watch a couple of cool docs. And uh, yeah, I guess could transition it over to you maybe for your favorite <clears throat> segment, but also uh, what you've been up to recently as well. Yeah, well, I just kicked Steve out of the recording studio. He was being a rabble rouser, so. I sh- I How quickly the turntables turn. He was being a good boy, and then he decides to start causing a ruckus, and you had to kick him yeah, out. He... Well, you know, I can't give away Steve's identity. Steve's a, definitely a person, but I can't, you know, we got to keep him like Batman. A little bit of anonymity here. Right? We can't I just mean, give our fact he, checkers ID Steve, away. Steve wants to hang out. He wants to be in the clips. He wants to be on camera, and I'm like, fine, you know, you can hang out over here. Like, I guess, you know, hang out by the stars, you know, and then he comes over and he's just like poking the bear a little bit. And he just, you know, it's like he wants to high five. He's like wants to ask me questions. And then it's like, OK, Steve, get the hell out of here. Like, yeah, we're on over, camera, buds. OK, you've, you've overstayed your welcome. OK, yeah, exactly. Can't be disturbing the creative process here, Steve. Like ask those sort of yeah, questions I mean, before we start recording, guy. Steve, Steve and I are close. We've been friends for a while. He needed a place to live, so I let I let him live with me. We carpool to work. I drop him off and pick him up because like my job's on the way. But like, my God, sometimes he's just so needy, you know. So, you know, it is what it is when you have uh when you have really good friends as roommates, you know. Like sometimes they're just like sometimes they're assholes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, recently I went home for Thanksgiving. Um, it was a good experience. It was quick. I got in at 12:30 on Wednesday and left on Monday. Went to my first Blackhawks game since 2008. Got to see Betsy um, finally. My God, I I hate the Blues though. I forgot how much I hate them. They're fans. Some, I mean, we have friends that are Blues fans. I feel like our friends that are Blues fans are nice, but there were some blues fans at this game that were just like like dude like you live in the city of chicago like come on like understand that you are here you moved from your city to come to chicago like come on like like give me some be peaceful fans be peaceful so yeah also they're playing the hawks and they are hot garbage right now so it's not exactly game seven of the stanley cup finals buds like the guy was the one guy was like they're like oh that was a quick game the game the game started at one it was over by like two three thirty like that's a regular game that was pretty it was pretty quick game actually i feel like the average hockey game should go about like three hours like i was fully expecting you guys to go from like one to four there were like no penalties or anything like that so it went no, pretty quick but the one guy's like well that's what happens when you don't score goals it's like they scored two goals <laughs> it's not like they shut them out it was it was two to one at one point so they were just being bozo buckets just kind of trying to start like stir a problem the one guy the one guy thought he was cool he was wearing a gloria 19 jersey like okay buddy 
All right. I have a hot take. My closest friends and family will will know this already. I have a hot take on jerseys. I'm I'm very passionate about sports jerseys. Also, people that think that adults can't wear jerseys to games, fuck you. Anyone can wear a jersey. A kid can wear a jersey. An old man who's 90 years old going to a game can wear a jersey. Anyone can wear a jersey. But that's not my that's not my rules. I have three rules about jerseys. Number one, no plain jersey. Like no no name on the back. Just spend the extra. Hockey can get away with the no name jersey. You can you can get away with it in baseball and hockey. Well, like yeah. I mean, you you would never see someone wearing like a no name like basketball or football jersey. So that's kind of out the window. Yeah. But like but at the end there, of the though. day, just spend the extra forty bucks and get a name. Get get like a legend, like someone that is like an all Hall of Famer, like never gonna that's leave the team. Like Billy Williams jersey. Exactly. So like, like yeah. If it's your team's point. trash, if your team's trash and you don't have any good players or like you have guys on expiring deals, just get a customized jersey that says like Bobby Hall on it or like Stan Mikita for Blackhawks. Like just spend the extra money. Second rule, no customized jerseys. I don't want to see like Gloria 19 on the back of your jersey or like, you know, friggin' Schwingback. Yeah, Schwingback yeah. 69. Like no one's putting that on the back of your of so anyone listening, friends or family, don't get me a customized jersey that says like Schwingback 7 on it. I I I don't want that. I'd rather have a plain jersey before I'm getting the the customized jersey. But the one exception is like novelty jerseys like gr- the Blackhawks like Griswold double zero like I can that's like that. it's like teetering on the edge, but I, I, I'll allow it. Nobody understands the reference unless you know the reference. But like it's a it's a cultural phenomenon. Like no. you can kind of I can get behind that a little bit. Um, and and I guess my uh, what's my third rule? No custom jersey, no no name jersey. Um, yeah, that's actually I only have two rules. <laughs> yeah, those are my those are my rules. The third one was adults that bring gloves to baseball games. Oh yeah, that's that's a separate <laughs> argument. Like if you're in a so first of all, if you're like a 40 year old man and you're bringing a glove to a game, like unless you're catching that ball and immediately giving it to a kid, like what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I I digress. Th- those are my rules. So I I know people yeah, here I, are probably not. I was uh, wearing a Gloria 19 jersey, and it's just like, okay, dude, you, we get it. That was four years ago. The one guy was yeah, wearing a, will a, a sick pronger jersey from like I will, the that's sick. early that's 2000s sick. with the the horn on the shoulder pad. The one that's guy dope. had a Tarasenko jersey, and I don't remember what the 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 fourth guy had. But then there was the Gloria 19, and then yeah. I, I, like if we could steal a page from from RA doing grinds my gears, this would be it right now. Then we're sitting there three minutes into the game, a group of very attractive women sits in front of us. Okay, they sit down, immediately start taking pictures of the stadium. Boo 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 boo. Game's like two to zero, but like 15 minutes into the period, the one girl looks up. She's like, "Hey, look, we're winning." Then they get up, then they leave for the first intermission, then they come back and they're like texting the entire time. They probably watched a quarter of the game because they were texting, editing their own pictures, tagging each other in the picture, then commenting just... in the chat. But then they went into Instagram and like commented, you know how like when you get tagged in a video, it goes into your yeah. DM. Then they yeah. commented on that DM to the person sitting right next to them. 
That's just I mean, women at sports sporting no, events, it's not. though. No, it's not. No. And then dad commented that the one uh, was like texting a boyfriend or something. And the guy was like, why don't you like put your phone down and watch the game? And she's like, but everyone's got their phone out. Not everybody had their phone out. And that is not women at games. I'll make that argument. That is not females at, at my, events. I will say to caveat that my lady is dialed in when it, when it comes to sporting events, but you know, there, there have been times when we're, you know, we're out with a group and I look down and all the ladies are on their phone, they're chap, they're chopping it up. And it's because it's more like social gathering for them. And the, and the sporting event is more of like the vehicle that like gets them to the place they got to go for lack of a better term. So I, I don't begrudge that as much. I begrudge the people that show up late and then leave early. What are you doing? What You just dropped probably each $100 each on your seats. You show up late and then you leave early and you were there for like an hour. Okay, maybe, maybe money is no object to some people. But you bet your ass if you're coming to a sporting event with me, we're getting there on time. We're going to stay the whole time no matter what. I think this year I only left one Cubs game early and it was because they were losing by like more than 10 in like the eighth. And, and you could get like, if they're losing, like we went, like Ian and I went to the, to the Brewers Cubs game. They were like down by like one or two runs and we got up out of our seats and we watched the last three outs from the concourse. Uh, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm talking about the people that like show up in in like a hockey sense they show up in like right before the first intermission they're in and then they're 19 of, jerseys then they're out of there like two minutes into the third period like you were there for maybe an hour like wh- what are we doing here and you know what's so, you know what i just remembered what's even worse with those guys is they kept saying scoreboard the entire time it's like you guys are one of the better teams in the league Playing one of the worst teams in the league, yeah. and you're seriously tied like, for second like, to last are you right that now. That's insecure about your team's history that you need to just punish the Blackhawks fans for being bad. Like, be humble, dude. You knew going yeah. into it, you were gonna win. You're probably like a 35 year old man, like heckling no, people. They were like, they were like our age. Oh, yeah. that's even worse. That's our, even more our boys, jo- Josh and Austin. Hopefully, would never, never do that. I hope, no. I hope they would never do that. No. So, but. To get this rig back on the road, glad yes, glad you had a good I, uh, <laughs> glad you had a good Thanksgiving at home, guy. Yes, I agree. To continue, I bought Meet the Beatles, the American release of With the Beatles. You know, it's not the it's not the British release, but it's something. I'm glad yeah. I got it. It's from '64. Capital um, Records edition. It's pretty cool. And then I last, say. I want I want to just go over my Spotify Wrapped. You know, like that the. Mm. the Beatles, came out i think it's I interesting that you that want to bring this up okay yeah, I mean, there's, there's people that like meme around about it but i i think for the sake of this it's kind of fun to to do um my top artist grateful dead is always you guys like i i was the one that posted on instagram i mean you guys probably like okay that's not surprising acdc number two my, my favorite one of my favorite rock bands um doesn't get enough love in my in my daily talk but they're definitely my favorite like hard rock band yeah. Beatles number three favorite band of all time, Bob Dylan and Frank. I'm very surprised with my four and five, especially my five. Uh, my buddy John DM'd me on Instagram when I posted it on my personal story, and he's like, I got to read you the quote because it was spot on what he texted me. Um, He said, oh, that was another, that was a three-person group. 
He said, is Frank Sinatra from Cooking the Pizzas? Laughing my ass off. I said, hell yeah. Italian so, kitchen tunes. Yeah, Always got to be pumping the Dino and the Frankie. Know me, I have a pizza oven and uni. Um, and before I had the uni, I would just cook pizzas out of the oven. And I created a playlist called Italian kitchen tunes with uh, all you know, good vibes. It's, it's got like your Dean Martins and Franks. It has Elvis, though. Like, so it's like a 50s, 60s crooner, early pop like rock or like pop playlist um that you would like basically here in like a 50s 60s kitchen like that's the vibe i was getting um so yeah frank sinatra yeah so i uh, i got that on there but my top songs were what was surprising i don't know where i shared that but it was um uh, my back pages good song i think was uh was one of them um there was a hurricane by bob dylan was another one which i was good like one. okay like that's another good one but i don't remember what my other 3 were but i got there was like this new thing they came out with where it's the like your tarot card i guess and i got cyclops which i thought was so true when it comes to to your listening, you're loyal and devoted. You like to focus on one genre and sometimes while wearing a monocle. I do get stuck in the uh, the music that I listen to for a while. Well, do you want to hear what mine is? Because I don't think I've shared. I shared my top artist, which I was. I feel like every time I do this Spotify wrapped every year, I'm always very surprised uh at my full top five i can usually guess a couple of them because i on spotify at least i do tend to listen to you know roughly the same type of music all the time but Mm -hmm. uh surprisingly enough my number one grateful dead gd i think i was actually in a top (laughs) a higher percentile of listener than you which is why i think i think we were in the same you just had more minutes yeah but i i uh i obviously went down a big rabbit hole this year going to see dead and company and was listening to a lot of dead i feel like with that though like when you listen to the live shows that are like three hours that's what and like you're listening to them all the way through that's what bumps you up the list but yeah they're my number one then you got dmb little dave matthews number two john mayer number three red hot chili peppers no surprise number four and bruce springsteen number five big fan of the boss when i saw him this summer uh, as loyal listeners here will know i went down a big rabbit hole uh, with the boss and the E Street Band. My top five songs. Completely out of left field from my top yeah, artists, which I mind. think is hilarious. Um, my number one song, which not any of my top artists sing this song, but it totally makes sense because when I need to run through a brick wall or when I'm working out, this is the first song that comes on for me. Show Me How to Live by Audio Slave. It's a banger. It's a great song. Makes you want to run through a brick wall. Um, then you got Learn to Fly, Foo Fighters, the Zephyr song, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Everlong, Foo Fighters. You know, again, naturally, it's my favorite Foo Fighters song. And number five, this was the one that was completely out of left field. Didn't see it coming at all. Um, and then I was like, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense because I feel like it ends up being on a lot of my playlists. Mm-hmm. Just by the uh, virtue of the type of music I listen to, number five, 
Song 2 by Blur. Really? It's I feel like when I went back and looked, it's on like all my workout playlists just randomly in there. Um, I mean, Blur's got absolute bops. They got William McJamburgers. So, uh, you know, no, no, like, surprise there, I guess. But that was the one that I was just, like, kind of scratching my head on. I didn't really know where that one came from. Um, but, yeah, I always like looking at this. I feel like you, you'd end up doing a head scratch when you when you watch it for the first time. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I, I like it. I like that they do it because it kind of is. Al- it's always like- something new every year. That's my number one. But like the core of my top five is usually the same with Chili Peppers, John Mayer and Dave. So, yeah, my uh, my top songs was my back pages. The Man and Me. Great song. Uh, That's Life by Frank Sinatra. Another That's love. That's oh, love. Uh, Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out by e big e slow hand and then hurricane good solid top five there but my my playlist from it i want to ask you this one what song goofy song made it on my spotify wrapped playlist like your top songs of 2023 yep this is a goofy song i'll scroll through and see if there's anything wild on here um I feel like there's not really a goofy one on here. Like they're all songs that I'm like, yeah, these were these were probably on like all my playlists and songs that I listen to on a fairly regular basis. It has a good mix of like uh, of classic rock, country, alt rock. Um, so yeah, I, I just scrolled through the whole thing. Nothing really too weird jumps out yeah, to me. Guess the, uh, guess the whoa, goofy whoa, 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 whoa! I found on. one. I found one. I found one. Have you ever heard of the song Ladybug by the Vines? No. Here, keep keep talking about your about your playlist because I need to listen to this for a second, see uh, if I've ever even heard of this song before. No, guess guess the guess the goofy song that's on mine. I don't know, banana phone. No, rock and roll McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But keep keep talking about yours because I need like third. 10 seconds to listen to the song. I've never even heard of it before. Oh, man. I mean, that's all I was going to say, but I guess I'll I'll try and stall. Um, I have, like, f- 20 Grateful Dead songs on it. Not surprised. Um, it's it's kind of a weird vibe, though, just with the, uh, the crooner music on it. And uh, anywhere from the nitty-gritty dirt band of Frank Sinatra to ACDC. And the some of the songs on the Rocky soundtrack. Naturally, when I was, naturally. When I was boxing in the garage, which I got to start I, boxing again. That's what I would listen to. As as a quick update, I have heard that song before. So, and it's probably on like my '90s or like 2000s like all rock playlist. Ladybug by the Vines. It's a good song. You might not have heard of it, but I I didn't recognize it by the name, but I know it when I listen to it. So it's it's a solid jam. Okay. Well, I think it is time for my favorite segment, and I will not mute the mic. Uh, I'm going to say it normally this time. Uh, on this day in music history. I think this is a pretty big one. Um, a couple deaths on this day. We're, we're going with December 8th. Uh, John Lennon, December 8th, 1980. 
Rest in spaghetti. Yeah. Never forget yeah, it, John Lennon. Died in his New York Manhattan house, the Dakota building. Before you get into the next one, before you get into the next one, interesting question. So I had to derail the segment a little bit here. I was with dad last night. We went to new Guinness, the new uh, Guinness place in Chicago. And we were just Guinness kicking around. Huh? Guinness or Guinness? Guinness. Um, oh, we were just kicking around, just chopping it up. And out of left field, he just goes, oh, we were talking about the band because only Garth Hudson is still alive um, after Robbie Robertson died this year. But he was like. Do you ever wonder like what some of these artists are would be like today if they died? And the first one that he said was John Lennon. What do you mean? Like what would he be like today, you think, if he was still oh. alive? Do you think he would still be like making music or like what kind of celebrity like, would he I be? I feel like he'd be like like a Paul McCartney, but I think he would be more of like uh I feel like he'd be like De Niro, because I think De Niro's pretty vocal about his politics. So I think that's what he would be like, like a vocal about the politics coming out with like mccartney music that like i'm not trying to bash mccartney but like his songs are the quality of his songs today are definitely not what they were Well, he's also like 80 something years old two years old but like that's i i don't think he's gonna be putting out like like i don't think he'd be better than the rest of them yeah it's it's just something interesting to think about that that by this time they would have come out with music together yeah i think so too I think they probably would have squashed the beef by now. You would think at least. You would hope in your heart. So Well, they were they were uh scheduled to play um was it like a live aid in nineteen eighty they were scheduled to play? Yeah. And then he died. Another interesting thing, uh I in reading the Paul McCartney book, not to go down a bit of a John Lennon rabbit hole here, but I uh I learned that when Paul McCartney was writing Venus and Mars with wings he actually reached out to John Lennon and was like, hey, like, you know, it's been a while. It's been, you know, six years. But let's say we uh, put our swords down and get back in the studio and you can write some songs with me for this new album. And he was like, he was like, yeah, I want to do it. Like, let's get back together. Like, let's let's write some songs for this new Wings album. And that sandbag and son of a bitch, Yoko Ono, got back between them and he ended up not wanting to do it anymore seriously yeah so it's freaking screamer ruining chuck berry songs <laughs> That's what Apologies she like all of our list if you're on the road listening to this and you just <laughs> crashed into the sidewalk hopefully you're not too injured apologies on that one so that's what it sounds like i know i know continue on the second right. though sorry, sorry to send you on the superstar hole. mc and emo rap pioneer juice world died that was a big one, I remember. That was uh That was probably my junior year of college. No, it was my uh Yeah, it was No, it was my senior year, I guess. No, junior year. Yeah. Wait, no, I lied. Senior year. Yeah, senior year. I don't even know at this point. But 1976, the Eagles released Hotel California. Um, that's it that side uh, note that album is definitely one that comes and goes for me i feel like with like stereotypical classic rock radio song it's like hotel california they come and go for me meaning like sometimes there's there'll be years where like i love listening to them nonstop, and then 
there'll be years where like I hear that song come on and immediately skip or like change the station because I'm like I can't listen to this song again right now for me I'm in a big Eagles kick and Hotel California is hitting maybe the hardest it's ever hit in years for me so it's a banger Skipping ahead a couple of years, back to 1979, Prague Rockers Sticks scored their first and only number one hit with, do you know what it is? What year is this? 79. 1979. Number one hit for a song or an album? Uh, it's the song. 1979, 1979. So this would have been... Uh, too much time on my hands. Boy, no. Baby, it's I'm leaving. I must be on my way. Because you know it's you, babe. Oh, from... Uh... Whenever I get... With... Yeah, Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Fuck. I didn't, I didn't know if it was too late for cornerstone songs or if it was too early for paradise theater songs so that's on me hand up shouldn't know it's a banger though uh in 1968 graham nash left the hollies to form crosby stills and nash oh yeah and then in 61 the beach boys recorded and released their first single surfing Mm-hmm. Ad boy. Yeah, that's it. Sammy that's Davis Jr. Got. born on this day. Jim Morrison. Born oh, on this day. Sammy and Jim Morrison. Let's go. Greg Amon born Amen. on this day. You Phil mean Collins, Greg Pistachio? Leopard. Yeah, Greg Pistachio. It's Nate O'Connor. Yep, that's all I got. Oh, Nate O'Connor, R.I.P. Recently as well. Never forget. So, all right. Solid on this day segment, as always. Uh, I think we could probably go transition into our Vinyl Friday recaps. A couple of fun ones here for the fans, the second of which I definitely need to get into uh, and go down a bit of a rabbit hole on. But we'll we'll get there eventually. The first one, though, uh, not to bury the lead, is Bad Company's Straight Shooter. So to give a couple of quick in facts here, because uh, maybe Bad Company isn't a household name for you, but... Uh, Straight Shooter hit store shelves in March 1975, second studio album of the band. Um, and like I just said, I, I, I wanted to feature this album. Uh, I've been wanting to feature a Bad Company album on Vinyl Fridays for a while now. I don't think that they get enough shine at all. I think that they get completely overlooked uh, in terms of like iconic classic rock bands of the 1970s. Um, and like, maybe you don't know the band name. Maybe you've, you know, somebody says like, Hey, you like bad company. Who, who the hell is bad company? You've never heard of them. You don't know the band. You definitely know their songs. Um, yeah. and I, in my opinion, I think that this album specifically, in addition to their debut self-titled album contains some of the most iconic classic songs of the 1970s. Um, and also this album just has sick album artwork as well you know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the show here i have a great appreciation and affinity for album arts um and this one was a little bit inspired by my recent trip to vegas with the fellas on our annual trip but uh the front and back have like uh images and like themes of a craps table so like 
straight shooter. Like when you're playing craps, the guy rolling the dice is the shooter. So pretty cool. If you haven't seen it yet, make sure you jump on our social page and uh, and check it out. I put a, a couple of pics of the cover. It's really cool. But um, to get back to the music itself, this album contains the iconic Bad Company uh, songs, Shooting Star, Good Love and Gone Bad, and Feel Like Making Love, which if you if you know classic rock and you like classic rock from the 1970s specifically you've definitely heard these all of these songs so Mm -hmm. you know with that wanted to get your thoughts on this album specifically as well as just bad company as a band overall oh paul rogers iconic oh yeah uh he's an absolute legend um but i all those songs are so good and i was just doing a like a look at all their records they're fantastic. I think they're so underrated. I mean, their their big hit is, uh, well, their big hit on streams is "Feel Like Making Love," but I think "Bad Company's Bad Company" is more well known. The album um, or the song? The song. But I actually saw a kid at school walking around with a straight shooter T-shirt on. That's sick. And they didn't even look like they knew who they were though. Like it was a, it was a kid still that, sick. yeah, it was pretty sweet. It was like gray. And then it had the album artwork on it, the dice, but you know, I've gotten tired of being like, Hey, you like, you know, this brand. Cause half the kids are like, no. So, but I think they're great. I think they're also like, we were talking about very underrated. Are they in the rock and roll hall of fame? No, but that like, that's what I'm talking about. Like nobody, I feel like, you know, and this happens in sports, too, where it's like, are you a Hall of Famer or are you in the Hall of Very Good? And like sometimes the people that are in the Hall of Very Good, like just because they're not a Hall of Famer doesn't mean that they're not amazing artists. And they had doesn't mean they didn't have iconic moments or like iconic songs. Um, Like you think about like an athlete, you know, I'm trying to think like a guy, first guy that came to mind, Chicago Bulls. Horace Grant. 99% sure that Horace Grant, and I should have had Steve fact check me on this one before the show. 99% sure Horace Grant, not in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Horace Grant, if you know Chicago Bulls and you know uh, NBA history, probably one of the best players of the 1990s, four time NBA champion, uh, one of the backbones of the uh, early 90s Bulls in the first three peat. And, like, if it wasn't for Horace Grant, like, the Bulls might not win those championships. To relay it back to the, to the music, it's like, yeah, bad company. Probably not, They're not Hall of Fame worthy, but, like, their songs are, like, the backbone of the 1970s, so, in my 100%. opinion. 100%. And that's why they should be, and, like, Foreigner's not, but, like, they should be over people that aren't even rock artists or, like, Influ- or like people before the genre rock that influenced those artists but like i guess you could be like oh like modern music was influenced by 70s and 80s rock but it's like really you're telling me that like guns and roses influenced mumble rap like no chance <laughs> i think hot take maybe i don't really sling that many out there i think bad company is better than guns and roses yeah well, i mean we are we are talked about this i agree so, hey, don't don't, uh, you know, shit on me all you want. But I think that if you if you stacked up their discography and you stacked up their greatest hits, Bad Company songs are deeper 
their their list of songs goes deeper than guns a band like guns and roses and the songs are like their top songs maybe aren't better but when you look at their whole discography like all of their songs combined i think they have more staying power than a band like guns and roses that maybe has Mm -hmm. more gets more shine so Mm -hmm. you know yeah i I I love this company is great i think they're a sneaky one of my favorite bands just because so for for the people listening right like they're uh they're actually listed as a super group technically uh because it's kim king crimson bassist baz burrell mop the hoople guitarist mick ralph uh mop the hoople did all the young dudes all the young dudes and then uh paul rogers and simon kirk we're both from the band free that did all right now. Yeah. So they like joined together from these bands to create bad company. I think I might go on a bad company kick. I got running with the pack, which is definitely a good album, but I want the first two. They're great. Yeah. I have their, I have the self-titled straight shooter and running with the pack. And <laughs> yeah. they're, they're definitely staples in my collection. And like I said, people don't really know Bad Company, I feel like, but they definitely Paul know these Rogers songs. Rogers is so good that he was actually, after Freddie Mercury died, he was one of the singers from in Queen. And they asked him to join. Like, it wasn't like yeah. he was like, hey, I want to be in Queen. Like, they were like, hey, Paul, you got pipes, buds. We think you could go on tour with us and be in Queen. And like, you know, if you've, I've watched a couple of Queen documentaries and like, they don't just ask anybody to be in Queen. No. Like you gotta have pipes to be able to hit those high notes like Freddie. So like, you know, that to have Paul Rogers be asked to tour with them for a good amount of time actually, yeah. I feel like that just shows how good of a singer he is. That also who who talks about Paul Rogers as being a an all time good lead singer? Uh, that guy can belt it. Oh yeah. So iconic. Yeah, big, big, big fan, if you can't tell, both of us of this album. So if you haven't checked it out yet, would highly recommend. Um, and if you're a vinyl collector and you just like collecting cool albums with, with uh, you know, iconic art, ironically enough, Hypnosis also, to bring it back to the beginning of the show, they also did the album art for this album as well. Ah. So pretty, pretty cool. Didn't know that before I watched the doc, but then they were like, doing like a lightning round, like flashing all of the albums on the screen that they did the covers yeah. for. And this is one of them. So pretty cool. Um, but any uh, parting shots? Wesley Willis's Rock and Roll McDonald's, though. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. Any parting shots on this one before we transition into the next one? Uh, negatory. All right. Well, this is the one that I maybe wanted to spend a little bit more time on. Um, this is the one that we just issued this past week, so a week ago by the time you're listening to this episode. Um, but And it commemorates a recent anniversary as well, um, and maybe our last callback to the Thanksgiving fall time. Um, but it's the band's live album, The Last Waltz. So to go into a couple of quick hint facts here, the, the album was released in April of 1978, but it is a commemoration of the of the live recording of the band's farewell slash last concert as a group, um, which was on November 25th, 1976, the day after Thanksgiving. Um, the concert was a farewell show, like I said, the last uh, live performance of the group in their original lineup. 
And it also included an actual Thanksgiving feast for the 5,000 attendants of the Winterland Arena in San Francisco, which I thought was pretty cool. So they got a full spread, turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, Garvey, all that good stuff. And duck. no duck, no duck. Sorry, guy. Um, but and the, the, the concert was also filmed uh, for a documentary that accompanied the album as well. That was directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, and I'll get into like why I love this album so much, why I looked so hard for it, um, in stores for years until I found it, I think a year or two ago. Um, but I think that when you list off the amount of artists that came to the show and performed alongside the group, I think that kind of really helps emphasize how important or, uh, iconic this performance was. Um, mm -hmm. so to rattle off a, you know, maybe just a few, or all the artists that performed alongside the band. You got Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, Muddy Waters, Joni Mitchell, Neil Diamond, Eric Clapton, Ringo, Ringo Starr, mm -hmm. Dr. John, and Ronnie Hawkins. And did I say Neil Young? Neil Young as well. So, like, when you just list off all of those guys on their own and then know that, like, they were performing alongside the group, uh, throughout the entire show like that I think just speaks to how groundbreaking this live performance was um, and I'll, I'll give some some of my other thoughts as well about the rabbit hole I've been going down a little bit but wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on this album as well um, yeah I uh, I listened to it last year you know when, when I wasn't doing anything in the classroom and I was just sitting there making sure kids were doing online work uh, when I was a certified DJ. I think the songs are all great, though. And I think live music is hard to listen to, but it's not when you're listening to this album. Um, I think on uh, The Weight, the singers that they have on that are unbelievable. Um, and it, I think it makes the song a lot better. Emmy Lou Harris is one mm -hmm. of the singers on it. So if you don't know Emmy yeah. Lou Harris, iconic vocalist. Mm -hmm. caravan the van morrison song is awesome uh and i think the night they drove old dixie down this is way better than the studio release 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. yeah yeah that, those no, you gonna... actually took the words right out of my mouth those were the two yeah. songs that i was gonna emphasize as my favorites yeah. from the performance i won't bash robbie i heard robbie's mic wasn't on the entire time but I like him. Feels like John Lennon and I bash him. You're not a Robbie Robertson guy? No, I am. That's why I don't want to bash him and be like, oh, the mic wasn't on. He was faking oh, okay. it the entire time. Oh, okay. Because it's kind of yeah. true. Well, I I watched the documentary, the Martin Scorsese documentary, uh, yesterday. It's about two hours. It's on, You can find it free on Amazon Prime uh, Video. It is awesome. And yeah. like hearing this is one of my favorite live albums um, of all time. You know, when you throw in all the artists that were there. But I think that this performance has some of my favorite versions of yeah. specific songs. Um, you mentioned yeah. two of them, Van Morrison's Caravan and The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down by the Band. Those, these performances or renditions of those two songs are my favorite. Um mm -hmm. 
And I think when you listen to the songs and then I also went back and, like I said, watched the documentary, you know, you I think that really drives home and emphasizes just how much passion these artists had for the music, specifically the band. Um, and like you can see it in their performances and like how much energy they're putting into every song. They're like dripping sweat by yeah. the end. And like if you know the yeah. band, like they're not exactly like, you know bouncing around stage and like you know putting on this amazing huge performance the stage is pretty small but like by the end they were just they were you know <laughs> to sound corny they were rocking so hard and yeah. having such a good time that they were just completely gassed by the end of the show i so, love the winterland ballroom too some great yeah. shows have been there it's cool cool venue um but yeah like you know I think that's the cool thing sometimes about live music. And I used to not really like live albums because I tended to like the, you know, studio versions a little bit better than how they do it in concert sometimes. Um, but over the years, I've started to have a better appreciation for when a live recording is done well. Yeah. It sometimes is the best version of said song. Yeah. Um, like, you know, to take it back, actually, to uh, Bad Company, um, the or is it Bad Company? Um, where am I going with this? I don't know, but I can get into it a little bit more. But like, I think that sometimes the, the live versions of songs can sometimes be the best versions. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, Ario Speedwagon. Good example. Right. Yeah, the, storm the song out. Riding the Storm Out. Nobody mm -hmm. cares about the studio version because it's the so slow. Sucks. Yeah. But the live version of it is sick, and everyone knows the live yeah. version. Um, and like you know, Caravan by Van Morrison, great song. The live version from this album is mm -hmm. is like they turn the volume up to twelve, and you can just tell that he has so much more energy and passion in the song. It's a completely different yeah. sound yeah. than the studio version. Yeah. Um. So just something to think about when you're listening to this one. Um, if you enjoy the band, um, you know, we've we've talked about them a lot on this show in the past. They're one of my favorite artists. Um, and actually one very cool uh, story from the live recording. Um, so like I said, Martin Scorsese, he's doing a documentary um, that's centered around this farewell concert. And in the middle of the show, you know, it looks like everyone's going to take a break, like the band's going to take a break. They're going to take like a five minute uh, time out. And he goes on his radio and says, hey, the, the the artists are taking a break. Everyone take five. And right when everyone started breaking. All of a sudden, Muddy Waters gets on stage and they all get back on stage and he's like scrambling. He's like, shit, I don't have anyone on my cameras. And Muddy Waters is about to get on stage. And all of a sudden, just on his radio, it's his main camera guy that's like it at center stage. And he goes, don't worry, Marty. I never stopped recording. Like his one main go to guy that was right at center stage was like, yeah, I never stopped recording. We got the shot. And it's like that's one awesome. of the most iconic uh, performances by Muddy Waters uh, is from this concert uh, doing uh, I forgot which which song specifically uh Caldo uh Caldonia and Mamish Boy are like iconic Muddy Water songs and he got both of them uh which it's kind of a cool little wrinkle uh as well so yeah I've been going down big rabbit hole of the band uh another good live album of theirs Rock of Ages 
Uh, if you don't have that one, would highly recommend. That was from like their their earlier days. I think the album came out in 1972. This is from, uh, like I said, 1976. So a couple years later, um, towards the end of their career. But um, I, the band is just like such a cool group. And then yeah. again, like I feel like we we've talked about this with other artists before, but like they had such a short career. And in that time, they were able to write so much amazing music and like what who, what artists were we talking about last week? Jim Croce, where we were like, do the, yeah. does Jim Croce have a bad song? I don't think the band has a bad song either. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Obviously, there's some that are better than others, but I think that it's hard to be it's hard to achieve that, you know, to have like a song where you're like, man, I don't really want to listen to this. Every album of theirs, too, is yeah. collectible. It, it's the one that you need to have in your collection. Um, like, I started really getting into the band, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And then when I started collecting vinyl, you know, I started off by getting the, like, backbones of their discography. And then, like, listening to them more and, like, going, you know, having them become one of my favorite artists. Yeah. I'm like, well, if I really want to have all of their songs on vinyl, I kind of have to collect all of their albums because... Every single one of them has very iconic classic songs on them. Yeah. So I'm pretty close. I think I only need uh, Moondog or Moondog Manatee. And then I have the full discography of like their core discography. But yeah, I, I love this group. And if you haven't checked out the documentary or the album before, uh, hopefully after listening to this, uh, you know, this segment, You'll want to give it a it's give it free a listen. On Prime. Yeah, it's free on Prime to reemphasize that um, as well. So yeah, really cool album. Glad we finally got to feature it on uh, the recent anniversary of the show. So all right, with that, shall we transition into a little uh, tape deck talk here? Oh boy. So uh, I kind of alluded to it on some recent social media posts, but you know, now that we're in the holiday season, I'm going to, we're going to try and do some holiday themed questions here. And then like, you know, next episode, you know, not to uh, spoil anything, but it's going to be a big holiday themed episode. You're going to want to make sure that you tune in for that. But to get back to this segment here uh, in my three pack of cues, kick it off with this one holiday themed. Are you more of an old school or new school Christmas song guy? In other words, are you pumping the bang more often or are you pumping the boob, Michael Buble, more often? And I don't say that facetiously. I like Michael Buble. I just always refer to him as the boob. So are you pumping bang or the boob? Love bubbly. Love me some bubbly. Yeah. So you're more you gravitate more towards the new school stuff. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think the old school stuff is good in the background, but like. Michael Buble is unbelievable. He's an experience. Big Canadian. Yeah. Um, I was talking about it on when I was uh, at the very, very early eight tracks um, episode, but about the guy that found, like, discovered Michael Buble. Um, I'm pretty sure he, um, David Foster like a Grammy award-winning producer and arranger. He was like, I think it was like a birthday party or something like that. He, uh, he was looking for like a performer and his buddy was like, Hey, you gotta, you should ask this guy, Michael Buble to perform for you. 
he's like a really like he's an up and coming guy, but he's really old school, like crooner kind of voice. And he's like, eh, I don't really know. I'm looking for more established artists to perform at this event. And uh, he's like, no, no, no. You just got to give him a listen. Give him a listen. He pumped on like a few of his songs and he goes, holy shit, this guy slaps. He's going to be like the new school crooner. Um, so just kind of cool. And then his like career took off from there and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I like new school stuff. I, you know, as many know, I'm, I'm a bit of an old soul. So I like the bang, the Nat King Cole, the, the Frankie. So, but that's not to say I'm not a fan of, uh, fan of the boob as well. So that surprises me about you. I would, I would have taken you more for an old school guy when it comes to Christmas tunes. Not a big fan of Christmas tunes, if I'm being honest here. I don't know. What are you, Scrooge or something? You don't like you don't like getting in the holiday spirit? We're we're literally like going somewhere. He's like, let's listen to Christmas music. And I'm like, we're literally about to like play some high intensity stuff. Like, why don't we like get pumped up for this event and not listen to Christmas music? So he just plays it at the worst times. He's he loves Christmas tunes, man. He loves getting in the holiday spirit. What can I say? I'm vegan. You just gotta lean into it. You let him let him embrace it. So boy. All right. It's kind of an adjacent question, similar in nature. My second question. Are you a fan of when a band comes up with their own unique Christmas song? Or do you prefer when a a band of like modern days covers uh, a classic? I feel like you gotta have a little bit of both because like Mariah Carey wrote all i want for christmas is you and it's like that's one of the best christmas songs ever oh yeah so and kelly clarkson just did that uh that came out with that new one which i think is also great um and like ariana grande's got an okay one but so i think like those people like it's important to come up with new christmas songs because you want to be able to like continue it and not have it get old because it, it could easily get old if everyone's just writing the same thing. But at the same time, I think the, this, the classics are more important keeping the traditions. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of equated to like Paul McCartney writing wonderful Christmas time. That's Christmas. become like a staple and yeah. that's like a, a song that he wrote. That's not like a cover or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And like hopefully over time, like these new songs that artists are writing also just become part of the culture and, you know, that we can add them to the discography along time alongside the classics, you know, rocking around the Christmas trees, mm-hmm. silver bells, jingle bells. So, yeah, big, big fan. I, I want I was intrigued to see what direction you were going to go. Uh, I think after your answer to the first cue, I had a little bit of a better idea. But, um, you know, I, I also like the classics as well. I think that, though, it takes a, a specific, like, art to covering an iconic song, like, yeah. you know, Jingle Bells or, you know, Silver Bells or Oh Holy Night or something like that. Because if you do it well. They're like hymns. They're not yeah. movie songs. If you do it well, though, you'll become a legend probably. And, you know, like John Legend, I think, has done a Christmas album as well. And it's all mm-hmm. covers of old songs. He does it very well. Yeah. But if you if you're like a new artist and you cover an old song and it stinks, it's almost like a kind of a black eye on your record, mm-hmm. you know. Um like you get docked points if you issue a cover of a classic and it stinks. Yeah. Um so it there's definitely an art to it. Um and like I always sometimes I don't like 
when new artists cover old songs if they're shitty you know because yeah. i'm like what are you doing buds and 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 like vice versa though sometimes like i'll i'll kind of side eye a new christmas song and then i listen to it and i'm like god this song actually slaps so mm-hmm. yeah interesting interesting because like i said you gotta keep you I think you said it like you got to keep the traditions alive but also we need new songs to uh populate the playlists as well so um but my last cue here this one's off the reservation not a christmas question at all um but interesting interested to see if you can uh you know, get back on the schneid with your musical trivia since you've been uh slacking a little bit recently but this week my musical trivia question for you is uh what was elvis's first number one hit in the u.s so not like in another country or or anything like that specifically the u.s what was his first number one hit i'm gonna go with hound dog uh that would be negatory uh that or i can't help falling in love with you those are my Uh, that is that is also a negatory uh the answer is heartbreak hotel oh okay so that's a good one but i'm surprised yeah i mean that one that's another one where i feel like you could you could throw a dart and you hit a good song and you're you're surprised that some of these weren't they were probably number one hits but then the first one was i swear uh, if you're gonna say like blue moon of kentucky i was about to be like boy (laughs) no nothing too nothing too crazier out there yeah a classic e song um classic song by the king so maybe next week you'll get back on the horse yeah i hope so jeez but, uh, right, I'll pass the mic one, over to you. Which member of the Avengers had a brief stint as a pop star? I think I know it. I was not expecting this one for musical trivia. This is a bit out of left field for me. Uh, but I'm going with the man, specifically the Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. Nope. Ooh, okay, okay. Uh, give me one more guess. I'm not, you know, hand up. I'm not a big Avengers guy, not a big Marvel guy in general. Um, at, quite frankly, I think Marvel's kind of trash. Um, I like the individual movies. Like, I like Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man and, um, you know, there's been a billion Spider-Mans, but I, I like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans um, and the Thor movies. But, like, the I, the Avengers just, like, really doesn't do a whole lot for me. But I digress. Um I don't think you're going to get it. Is this like a core Avenger or is this like a side Avenger? I mean, what do you mean? Like, is are we talking like Iron Man, like Captain America? Or are we talking like a, like a side, like a, a low key? What are you uh, talking Avenger? about? Low key? Like, like low not key a something or like, no, like not a guy that you would think of like immediately. Like we're not talking about like the Hulk or Iron Man here. We're talking about Whoa. some guy off the reservation. Uh, well, I think they're all important. This person's pretty important. I'm going Rocket Raccoon, Bradley Cooper. Nope. Brie Larson, Captain uh-huh. Marvel. Yeah, Brie, see, I would have never. Brie Larson was in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, or Saves the World, or whatever that yeah. word is. Yeah, she's uh, she had a brief stint. Would have never pop, guessed that one. Star right around that movie. Would have never guessed that one. So, yeah. shows what I know, Niels mm-hmm. to say. 
Okay, I'm going to change the wording of this question. Which hockey team not named the Blackhawks has the best goal score song? Because we all know it's the Blackhawks. I, this one just came to my mind. Um, I was watching because I think goal song. I goal songs are tough because I feel like you know a lot of you know to relay back to the Blackhawks here. Um, a lot of people are calling for the Blackhawks to change their song because like move on to a new era. Like yeah. I think if it's a good song and it slaps, you can't change it. Um, but also like it's got to be a song that makes you want to like run through a brick wall when your team scores. Um, and recently this team, I think just changed their song um, uh. to this one. And I am, uh, I'm going with the Detroit Red Wings song without you by eminem they did that's what it is that's what they're using this season oh, it's and it's sick yeah it's sick yeah it definitely it definitely hits so you know there's probably others that i'm forgetting about but the first one that pops into my head is uh uh or sorry yeah without me by eminem not without you yeah. but without me by eminem so yeah. Big fan, big fan of Eminem, big Slim Shady guy, and uh, I think the Red Wings have a great song going right now, and they should keep it going for a while. Yeah, well, that's a good one. All right, uh, third one. Sorry, it's early in the morning for me still. Who is your favorite bass player of all time? I feel like we have talked about this at length, but maybe never had a formal question on it. Uh, you know. Got to go with my man, Paul McCartney, probably. Yeah, um, you know, I what what else can you really say about a legend? Um, the Beatles are my favorite artist. Paul McCartney is my favorite Beatle. I think he can really do it all. Um, all different kinds of music. Proved that he has staying power, you know, throughout the last 60 years outside of being in the Beatles. Um and like, I think the cool thing about him is that, you know, he was in the Beatles and unlike John Lennon, who like he leaves the group and everybody is like immediately latching onto his music. It took Paul McCartney a long time to yeah. get like commercially and critically successful outside mm -hmm. of the Beatles. Um, I think he released I'm trying to think off the top of my head maybe like three or four albums solo and with wings before band on the run. And that's when he kind of like took off as a solo artist or like, I guess you could say like with wings, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think like his, the way that, you know, I'm fumbling over my words here, but what I'm trying to say is a bass player. I feel like, um, they have to like find, find their like spot in a band. Because it's not like they're soloing yeah. or, you know, out on the front of the stage a lot of the times. And, you know, there are amazing bass players and, like, other honorable mentions, I would say, for me, that are, like, amazing bass players and that are my favorite are, like, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, he's probably, like, 1B for me. Um, mm -hmm. But, like, or, like, Gene, my boy Gene Simmons, like, JPJ, like, those are some, that's probably, like, my Mount Rushmore, honestly, is, like, Flea, Paul McCartney, uh, JPJ, and Gene Simmons. Um, you know, a lot of the times, like, unlike Gene Simmons, where he's, like, one of the lead singers, 
you know, the bass player's not really out on the front of the stage. Not, they're not soloing like you know they're not like the first guy you usually think of in a band and so they kind of have to find their groove or like how they can contribute to a song especially if they're not a songwriter um and that's maybe like the the art of like a guy like flea or like jpj um yeah but what i'm trying to say is the best bass players in my opinion are able to impact a song by sometimes like not even like being front and center and I think yeah. that's why Paul McCartney is the best, because if you listen to like isolated bass tracks of Beatles songs, it's cr- like, crazy. He's all over the place. Um, and I think it was most evident to me when I was watching Paul McCart- or McCartney 312 on Hulu. Another great doc. I've talked about it on this pod before a lot. Um, it's Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney and Paul McCartney's house in uh, in Ireland in his like home recording studio where he produced a lot of the music from his solo career and with wings. And a lot of the time they're like listening to Beatles songs for like the first time, the original recordings and Paul McCartney hasn't listened to in years. And Rick Rubin's like, just talk to me about like what you were thinking about with this bass line. And they like isolate the bass track and Paul McCartney is like all over the place. And if you were listening to the song, you'd probably never notice it. Mm. But like, like on a song like something, iconic George Harrison song, like just if you have a, a minute or two, like just listen to that song and try really to focus on the bass line. Like the bass is like producing like the soul of the song. Yeah. Like George Harrison's lyrics and his guitar playing are like front and center and obviously amazing. But like listen to Paul McCartney's bass line in the background and it's like it'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Um and that's a really long way of saying Paul McCartney is my favorite. Um, but I think it's because he's able to impact a song in such a big way, outside of the fact that he's a songwriter, just in his bass playing. Yeah. Um, and like it's the back, like, you know, as chalky as it sounds, like the bass and the drums are usually like the backbone of the song. Um, and you could have like, you know, a song that's amazing, like Running With The Devil, Michael Anthony, just like, bomb, 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 The entire bomb. time yeah like it's it's just like whole notes and it's amazing like it's like that intro of the song for running with the devil like you don't have that song without michael anthony on bass coming in with that heavy bass line but it's not like paul mccartney or you know flea or someone yeah. like that as well so yeah that's my long way of saying paul mccartney no curious to hear your thoughts that makes sense. I I agree. He's I mean he's pretty much like soloing on the bass during some of these songs, and he's able to sing it at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's why I think like it's cool too about like a guy like Flea. Like he's self-taught bassist, made up his entirely own sound, um, and like unique style of like slapping, and a lot of like it's crazy to think like a lot of like the Chili Pepper songs like. A lot. The first thing you think about some many times, often than not, is uh, his bass playing. Mm-hmm. Um, like especially on a song like uh, you know, "Tell Me Baby" or um, "Around the World," your favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Around the world, around <laughs> the world. Or like "Can't Stop." Like that's not yeah. the guitar at the beginning of "Can't Stop." That's Flea on the bass. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think you know. Or like, you know, to keep going down the bass player rabbit hole, you know, a guy like Gene Simmons, too, is an amazing singer, songwriter. But like his bass lines, too, are insane. 
like on Detroit Rock City, my favorite Kiss song, like he's all over the place and like, and like he's like all over the neck on that bass line and like it makes the song. So, you know, and then obviously JPJ is just a, a maniac, like multiple types of instruments, the backbone of a lot of Led Zeppelin songs. So, yeah, that's my Mount Rushmore. George Washington on the Mount Rushmore is Paul McCartney. So big, like big it. fan. <laughs> Needless to say. Needless yeah. to say. So. All right. Well, we've been going for a while here. Um, you know, I, hopefully all of you enjoyed. Enjoyed the listening here. Learned something along the way. We appreciate all the loyal listeners. You know, I feel like maybe around the holidays, you know, people maybe got lost in the shuffle. Don't forget to go back and listen to our old episodes, our full, I guess you could say, uh, library of of yep. uh, eight tracks episodes. You know, we had a lot of fun in in November uh, with the snake draft with Austin on and Thanksgiving episode last week. So make sure you go find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as always. Uh, hopefully, enjoy today and get geared up because we got another big fish coming uh, next episode for uh, a little oh, yes. primarily Christmas themed uh, episode. 24 with a special guest that'll be dropping right before uh right before christmas as well and one that you can enjoy during your holiday travels so uh any parting shots for the fans before we get out of here mike um you know stay classy san diego um listen to your spotify rap figure out what you uh what you've been listening to what you haven't been listening to um and as always, you know, keep trucking, enjoy the ride, and if you get confused, listen to the music play.